Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. As always, fun guests, some good conversation as we talk college basketball getting into the uh, final days of January. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, one step ahead of the virus and watching as many games as as I can. Unfortunately, uh, that's tagged a few people and a few teams, and sometimes you'll you'll flick on a a, a regularly scheduled game, and there'll be some like vintage archival documentary programming. <laughs> Must be a COVID pause. Yeah, that, so, that that's happened to me too. I flipped over to see some game, and I turned over there, and it was uh, bull riding or, or you know something that that was totally unrelated. So uh, yeah, that's happened to me a couple times. Or or I've seen on the menu where there's a game. It's like, boy, I wish I could watch that game, and I know that one's not happening right now. Uh, that's like earliest days of ESPN when. You'd have the Sun Belt Conference basketball, and then Australian rules football and <laughs> rodeo. Yeah, you you could see a little bit of everything on on there back then. I, I love some Australian rules football. I, I used to watch that sometimes. I didn't know what was going on, but it looked fun. Yeah, that's right. All right, Chris. I, there is a lot of pressure being Chris Dorch, and and I, I found that out over the years. Alabama fans are loving the blue ribbon prediction of success coming true for the Crimson Tide. Tennessee fans, though, are wondering whether there's a jinx. Chris, how, on a day-to-day basis, do you deal with all this pressure? It's tough. Yeah, you know, sometimes you you get them right, and 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 sometimes you don't. And literally a week ago, uh, Tennessee ascended to number six in the country, and I'm like, man, I'm doing good. And then uh, they go to Florida and get back home to to Missouri and and get waxed twice, and and just looked like a totally different team in doing so. And uh, I'll give Rick Barnes credit. I looked at the the text of his weekly press conference, and he seemed to be handling it pretty well. But I would say in that film room, uh, he doesn't swear, but I would say some people were made to feel uncomfortable in there. Yeah, especially after that Florida game the other night where they, they just really took it on the chin against a Florida team that was really pretty shorthanded. Uh, Missouri, they had beaten them the first time around, but then the uh, the Tigers got them at Thompson Bowling Arena the other night. Alabama, meanwhile, they keep on rolling. Now, they're not going to hit 23 threes every game, but they're going to hit a whole bunch of them. And uh, I guess the question I have, and one that we may ask of our guest, Fran Fischilla, coming up shortly is, is it sustainable? And you know, when you get into a pressure spot in a tournament game and maybe the threes aren't falling like they normally do, can you still get it done? But, uh, boy, they look awfully good for Nate Oates. Well, the, the thing about Alabama is is that, you know, they basically, you know what's coming uh, with their offense. And whether you can stop it, well, good for you if you can. Uh, if you can't, you're going to get buried. And I think that generally you would say that a, a team that fires up as many threes as they do, uh, you might say, well, they could be in for a rough outing or two, but they're equally adept at getting to the rim. And uh, I think on nights, and I can't imagine many nights where all their shooters run dry or misfiring. But on nights when let's say John Petty's not, can't throw it in the ocean. uh, They've got other people who can, and then they've got people that can get to the rim so it, it's such a brilliantly simple way to play basketball. You know, you're either putting it on the floor and putting your head down and getting to the rim 
or you're passing out for, for threes, which are generally wide open if, in fact, you have gotten to the rim. Right. So, uh, not a lot of, you know, thought to it. It's just go out there and play ball. Yeah, and, not- you know, and, and defensively, too. Uh, there, remember when, when Nate Oates was on our podcast back in the fall, he said his first year's team did not play defense up to his specifications. And that has changed because he's he altered his – his team, and that's what you know. You ask about, uh, you know, sort of us uh, how we pick things, and I just looked at the makeup of that team, and I thought, well, uh, talent versus philosophy; those two things have meshed here. Mm-hmm. I still believe that's true for Tennessee. Uh, uh, you know, and, and there's other examples of where we look good and then look dumb. Uh, but, but you just never know. I mean, injuries are a factor. COVID has definitely been a factor. I think with Tennessee, the simple loss of one freshman uh, has really affected them. Jaden Springer was a guy not only who could they could count on for double-figure scoring. I mean, he had as many as six assists in a game. Uh, he's their best low-post scorer. He's their best mid-range scorer, uh, you know, can defend. So – Taking away a guy like that who could get you a basket, it was just like you, you've seen this in in baseball. You're a big baseball fan. Uh, a, a, a losing streak ender, uh, you know, a, a drought preventer, yeah. uh, starting that every fourth day. Well, you, you're not going to lose three in a row because he's on the mound. And uh, Jaden Springer was that guy for Tennessee. So we'll see if he gets back. I think he had an ankle injury. You know how those things go. If it's a high ankle sprain, good luck getting that healed. If it's low, a little easier, a little quicker to get back in the fold. Chris, we talked going into the season about it being the year of the transfer, and it's really noticeable in the games I've watched, the games I've called. Every team seems to have two or three players that have come from another program, and some of them making big impacts, whether they're grad transfers who are just there for one year or maybe a little more traditional transfer who has a couple seasons left. I was thinking about that. Uh, Vanderbilt plays Florida tomorrow night, and uh, Florida has some some guys that are making a big impact. Tyree Appleby has moved into the starting lineup with some injuries and so forth. Anthony DeRuji, guy from Louisiana Tech, is is playing and playing well and starting. Appleby came from Cleveland State. Colin Castleton, a guy who's kind of the odd man out at Michigan, uh, he's become a really reliable source uh, inside for them on both ends of the court. So it's interesting to see them. I saw Arkansas back on Saturday. Same sort of deal. Jalen Tate. 6'6 point guard, played at Northern Kentucky, uh, is at uh, Arkansas on his grad transfer year. And, man, he made all the difference in, in that game on both ends, scoring and defending on Scottie Pippen Jr. They have Justin Smith, who transferred from Indiana and came back pretty quickly from a, a foot injury. Uh, they have a couple other guys, uh, just examples. And you can you can look at every team pretty much and see some guys that have come from somewhere else who are, who are playing and making a difference. It's just really interesting to, to look around college basketball and see how many players that have been on the move that are, that are in the lineups and doing some things. And it's particularly true this year, Kevin, as you know, they were all given blanket immediate eligibility because of the COVID. And a couple of examples I wrote down, Carlick Jones, uh, mm-hmm. who played Bradford and now at Louisville, he's averaging 18, incredible for a point guard, six boards, five assists and a steal and a half really been a difference maker for them. The Hauser brothers, Sam went to Virginia and is averaging 14. 
Uh, Joey went to Michigan State averaging 12. They're both shooting great from three as big men. Matt Harms, who went from Purdue to BYU, is averaging career highs in points and and two-point shooting percentage and free throw percentage. So Andrew Nembhard, uh, yep. number one Gonzaga from Florida, they had fully prepared to go without him this year, and uh, he got eligibility even before the NCAA made that decision to make everybody eligible. He got immediate eligibility, and uh, pretty much from the first minute, I, I think the first game he played, he played 32 minutes. He's averaging nine and four assists on a team that was already pretty well set. Sure. So, uh, yeah, Olivier Sard, Kentucky, has, has made Landers Nolly from Virginia Tech to Memphis. A uh, lot of key impact. Mac McClung, uh, we watched that game last night that, that mm-hmm. Fran did. Uh, Texas Tech, he's averaging 16 and uh, he's from a little town called Gate City, Virginia. Hmm. I know it well because my first job in, in newspapers was at the Kingsport Times News, and it was on the border of Virginia and Tennessee. And we had more high schools than anybody in the country calling in their games. And, <laughs> and it's away, and that's where he played. And Mac was a legend because uh, I don't know how tall he is, six or six one, but uh, he could leap like. Uh, you know, white men can't jump. That movie, not true. Uh, this one can. Uh, he he could really uh, get up and and uh, but also a good jump shooter. And Texas Tech has just you know really made a living with uh, with in the Chris Beard era, just taking key transfers and plugging them in. Yeah, his legend grew a couple of weeks ago when he hit that game winner against Texas. Uh, couldn't do the same against West Virginia, and that, that was a terrific game. Uh, let's look at the uh, the SEC Big 12 Challenge matchups quickly. Uh, there are some good ones coming up on Saturday. You know, we talk going into the season, you know, Tennessee, Kansas, Kentucky, Texas, but really to me, maybe the ones that are more interesting, Alabama and Oklahoma, Texas Tech plays at LSU, Florida at West Virginia, got TCU at Missouri and Auburn at Baylor among the matchups, so it's going to be a fun afternoon of basketball coming up on Saturday. Yeah, it, the, the ones that are interesting to me, uh, no one has been able to beat Alabama in a while. In fact, I talked the other day to the to the last coach that did, Rick Stansberry. I'm doing a piece on his big man, Charles Bassey, for our Blue Ribbon Report. But Bassey went for 27-14 and 14 in that game, and Alabama didn't have an answer for him. But Alabama and Oklahoma – is one that I'm going to be very interested in. Uh, I think uh, Florida at West Virginia, another game that, that you know, if, if the SEC is to come out on top, uh, which it really hasn't fared that well in the series, these are key games. Uh, Florida at West Virginia is a key game. Uh, TCU at Mizzou is a key game. Auburn at Baylor, you know, uh, that's a tall order uh, to go into Baylor, but Auburn – especially now that they've got Sharif Cooper, uh, who, who's an unbelievable passer if you haven't seen him yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a game that Auburn, who knows, could, could surprise in. I'll never forget when, when we remembered, when we realized that Tennessee basketball was real and early in the Bruce Pearl era, they went to Texas when Rick Barnes was there and beat Texas handily. And nobody thought that could happen. And so, you know, we'll see how Auburn – uh, Bruce's latest team fares at another Big 12 team in, in Baylor. 
Yeah, back earlier in the season, you you wouldn't you would have thought, well, Baylor probably wins that one pretty easily. But you know, with the addition of Cooper, Auburn's a different team, and they they've scored some nice wins lately. So uh, that one to me will be a fun one to watch too. So some good matchups uh, coming up this weekend in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. Michigan has had to shut down its athletics department for up to two weeks due to positive tests for the uh, the new coronavirus strain, and I think that's the thing that that came down from the state, but. The Wolverines could miss up to four games. How do you think that impacts what's been an outstanding season up there for Juwan Howard's group? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at their record, it's unbelievable. They've only lost once, and that was, a, you know, you'd have to consider it an aberration, 75-57 at Minnesota. But other than that, they've they've handled people fairly easily. And, and in the Big Ten, they're 8-1. and one. Uh, So... I, I think anytime you've you've got a shutdown, it hurts. But for as much as two weeks and four games, I mean, ask Frank Martin about that at South Carolina. Oh, His program. I'm not sure if there's been a program that is. Well, they could it could be Michigan now, but I can't. I don't know that there's been a program that's been more severely impacted by COVID than than South Carolina, which was delayed out of the gate, got paused again. I think Frank has even. Uh, gotten it twice and, uh, you know, has really had a hard time with it. So, yeah, I hate that for Michigan. Uh, Jawan Howard has, has been proving the exception uh, to the rule. You can't just come back if you're a star player to your alma mater or if your experience has been all been in the NBA or the pros and matter-of-factly expect to have a successful college career as a head coach. But Wow, this this season was was proving, uh, you know, that he was an exception to that rule, and it's a shame to see them have to shut it down. But that new strain is—I saw last night where it's in 23 states, so we we definitely don't need any of that action. Chris, we are joined by our guest. He is Fran Fischilla, ESPN analyst and just a great uh, college basketball analyst, and been a friend of our show for a long time. Fran, how you doing this morning? Outstanding, Kevin. Great to be on with you guys. I was telling Kevin uh, that when I when I uh, texted Fran to get on the show, that, that I had told him you had ascended to the voice of the Commodores, <laughs> a bandy game where Fran and I met. Do you remember that game? Which hey, talked about was, it, was it the NIT game, Chris? That they won with .5 seconds left? Wichita State, yeah. Wichita yeah. State, there, there was two, there were two home run plays in like the final three seconds. Yeah. We thought one team had won and then, uh, Danny came back on a Hail Mary. Was that a Kevin Stalling special, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Corey Smith, I think was the one that, that scored the winning bucket, if I remember right. I, uh, I remember that game. Yeah. Uh, speaking of craziness, friend, um, few, few people know better than yourself how nuts this season is. Cause I know you've had to alter your, and you've, you've done a couple games in a day, haven't you? I know Jimmy Dykes has. Jimmy has, well, Jimmy has because Jimmy, Jimmy's a double up. He's doubling up between SEC network and oh, ESPN. But, uh, I've, I've been to, um, I've, I've done a few games on site, but I would say 75 to 80% so far have been done at home in the confines of my office with nice equipment. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, the key, Chris, is to bring, try to, People know that we're home, okay? When they see us, they see me in my office. But the key is if you tune into a game I'm doing, I don't want you to think that I have this kind of energy 
that yeah. I'm actually at the game. Yeah. So yeah. that's been a key for me is just to be enthusiastic. And again, in this crazy time, and I've said this from day one, I'm going to have joy for every single game I get to do this year. Yes, yes I, I quite agree. Um, Kevin and I were talking. Do you think this could be the year, as crazy as everything is, that we get an undefeated national champion? It sure seems like it's going to take a lot to dislodge Gonzaga right now. Yeah, I think I, I obviously think it's possible, and I do think probably uh, as we look back, maybe the Kentucky team in 15 looked like uh, as close to a sure thing as we've seen. I don't think anybody really was sold on St. Joe's back in the day because they were in the Atlantic 10. Uh, that would have been 03, I think, because that would have been my first, maybe 04, because that was my first year at ESPN. Uh, 03, 04 season, yeah. And I, and I covered the big, I covered the A10 that season, ironically. So I got to see that St. Joe's team. But I think there's a, I, I think the danger for Gonzaga is just simply when we get to the Sweet 16 and beyond. So that's four, four games they'd have to win is that you're going to have, I always say you always have like four or five bad games a season and four or five unbelievable games. And the key to an unbelievable season is to win the games where you play poorly. And they just can't have that one outing in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, uh, you know, semifinals, et cetera, where they go three for 23 from three, you know, which we all have seen happen to even great teams. But, yes, Chris, I think that they're going to go undefeated throughout conference play into the NCAA tournament. And then I just think it's a matter of the randomness of the one bad game that could bite them. But it's also more likely than we've seen in a very long time that they could actually pull it off. Fran, you, you guys had a great finish in that game between West Virginia and Texas Tech. Uh, Mountaineers won at the end on the shop of Miles McBride. How do you handicap yeah. the Big 12 with a, a bunch of really good teams and, and Kansas maybe not looking like Kansas lately? Well, you know, we used to say about – I used to have to explain to people because I was inside embedded in this league, and as I have been for so long, that just because Kansas wins every year doesn't mean the league isn't really strong mm -hmm. because what what has happened in the past was Kansas would be automatically 9-0 and at home. And so, you know, as good as the rest of the league was, it was really almost impossible to beat them at Allen Fieldhouse for a variety of reasons, by the way, and mostly because they have a great coach and a great team. But, um, this isn't a, this isn't an amazing season. I just, I just noticed where some crazy stat I'll read to you here that uh, tonight will be Oklahoma's fifth game this month against the top 10 and six of the next seven for Oklahoma will be against the top 11. Now keep in mind they're playing Alabama on Saturday. So that just adds to their misery, if you will. But, um, yeah, the league has eight coaches who coach in the Elite Eight. Six, six of the ten have been in the Final Four. Uh, the recruiting has been better than ever because uh, the state of Texas is supplying so many great players to this conference now. And um, it's a gauntlet, uh, stop, top to bottom. I mean, there are a couple teams at the bottom that are not playing well, like uh, uh, Iowa State and Kansas State. But the rest of this league is really strong. It really is. It's a tremendous league. You mentioned Alabama, which is a team we talk a lot about on this podcast because Blue Ribbon picked them number 14 preseason. Wow. Wow. I just, Fran, I, in, in writing that story myself, yeah, talking to Coach Oates, I just thought that here was a perfect mesh. 
the guy completely transformed his roster, uh, encouraging big, uh, thick guys to transfer and recruiting a bunch of (laughs) uh, kind of greyhound guys that can shoot it. And and I just thought that the the combination of the talent and the depth, and and I think he's an unbelievable coach, but – you and I have talked about this a lot, the, the concept of living by the jump shot, dying by it. But yeah. this doesn't appear to be one of those teams, even though they, you know, if Petty goes dry, they got other weapons. And if yeah. that goes dry, they can get to the rim. So what do you think about the sustainability of Alabama? Well, I think, first of all, um, I used to say the number one job description of a college coach was crisis management coordinator because that <laughs> – that happened on a daily basis on and off the court. But I, I've amended that recently. The number one job description of a college coach in this day and age is roster management supervisor. You know, and we're going to see a lot of that in the next few years because of transfers. Trust me, yep. Kentucky and Duke will be in the transfer market hot and heavy this offseason. You can guarantee that because that's the nature of the sport right now. So you got to give Nate credit for, as you mentioned, um, overhauling that roster. I also think that he's um, living by something that makes sense mathematically, which the NBA has figured out over the last decade. And that is, believe it or not, you know, threes are worth more than twos. And in order to, um, in order to equate two point shooting, you have to shoot 50% or better if you're making 33% of your threes. So I, I think that um, I think it's I think it's been very sound. Nate, obviously, what, what I like about Nate Oates, and I don't know him well, if, if at all, I think I've met him a few times, is guys who come up through the small college and coaching rank, uh, high school coaching ranks, uh, improvise better. Uh, guys like Rick Bird, you know, who you guys have watched for many years, you know, the Bob McKillops, who who was a tremendous high school coach for many years. Nate was a high school coach before going to Buffalo. You know, you can't necessarily recruit the talent that you got. You want to coach or the style, so you have to improvise. And I think Nate, uh, in the course of time, has figured out what he likes, fast-paced, up-tempo, shoot the three, and it's worked extremely well uh, for them. They're dangerous. I mean, I, I did not see this coming in December. Um, and then all of a sudden they get the conference play, and, uh, you know, they've been playing phenomenally. So, you know, that, that's really cool to see. Fran, one more before we let you go. Having the NCAA tournament entirely in Indy seems like a sensible decision. Do you, do you think it'll work okay you know, with so much depending on keeping everyone from COVID exposure and all those sorts of things? Kevin, do I think it'll work okay? I'm just worried that we're going to have a game tonight in Austin. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, I'm living day to day, man. Yeah, I know. I, I think know, we all are. Yeah, no, I, I hope I hope it does. Danny Gavitt was on our coaching staff when I was at Providence with Rick Barnes. He was our grad assistant. And he we knew then he was going to make the smart decision to get into administration. But Danny is as thoughtful a guy and as well-prepared as anybody. And so given the environment where I, I have to uh, par- I have to amend uh, uh, something I learned from one of my pastors a long time ago, you know, Man plans and God laughs, and I say man plans and the virus laughs. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, yeah, I think we're all hoping that we're going to have incredible basketball in Indy, you know, playing games in uh, Lucas Oil and Hinkle and places like that down in Bloomington, up at Mackey Arena. Could end up being spectacular. You know, the bubble was a huge success. We're hoping uh, the NBA bubble. We're hoping the Super Bowl will be a huge success. And um, I'm just hoping that we have, you know, great basketball in Indy 
and that, you know, by the middle of the summer, everybody can get a damn vaccine shot, you know, or two, and we can get back to normal. Um, but so I, I don't know, honestly, but I'm like you and Chris, I'm just hoping for the best and praying. And that sounds like a good plan to us. Fran, thank you so much. We always enjoy your time with you and all the best. It's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Take care. That was ESPN analyst Fran Fischilla, one of the best in the business. And, Chris, he's been a really good friend of our, our show over the years. I know we've had him on a number of times. Always really thoughtful with anything you ask him. Yeah. The thing I like about Fran is that he was a head coach at Manhattan, New Mexico, St. John's. And he brings that sensibility to the job, uh, his job at ESPN. He he studies he talks to coaches. Uh, he doesn't just phone it in by any means. In fact, quite the opposite. He's really enjoying this. He's embraced it. He's actually become uh, an, an expert on international players, mm-hmm. which uh, has made him invaluable to ESPN's NBA draft coverage team. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think he just really throws himself into it. As I was saying earlier in the show, I, I went up and introduced myself to him uh for the first time many years ago at a Vanderbilt game, NIT game. And, oh, he, he, he knew Blue Ribbon yeah. and knew his work. So we immediately hit it off and have been friends ever since. And whenever he's on the call of a game, whether I have time to sit there and watch it all or not, or whether it's a game that even particularly interests me for that particular night, mm-hmm. I'll watch it because I'll always learn something from Fran Fischilla. No doubt. That'll do it for our show. Chris, great as always. We'll talk to you next time, man. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we will talk to you soon.